Are you ready to take your leadership and your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate, evolve, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world. And you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates and the Innovative Leadership Institute. I work with leaders and their organizations to identify the trends that will most likely disrupt their business and develop business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage those trends to create strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organizations. I'm also an adjunct faculty member at universities in the U.S. and Germany. I am delighted that today our guest is Christopher Washington. Dr. Christopher Washington serves as the Executive Vice President and CEO of Urbana University, a branch campus of Franklin University. Christopher's dedicated to advancing instructional innovations, cultivating education to business partnerships, and organizing initiatives that form leaders. He's also the Vice Chair of the Board of Global Ties, a Washington-based nonprofit established in 1961 to promote excellence in citizen diplomacy. It supports the U.S. State Department Department's Visitor Leadership Program and other exchange programs. And Christopher and I have known each other for almost 20 years. 20 years years now, sure. It's just my honor to have him join us, especially for this specific interview, focusing on what I've learned and gotten to share with people over the last year and also a synthesis of the last three years. So, Christopher, I'm just delighted and honored that you and I get to have this conversation. Well, I'm excited to be here, Maureen. Uh, Your work has inspired me. You've interviewed over the last three years over 150 key business leaders, thought leaders and authors, academics uh, (laughs) from around the world. Yeah, and I was one of your subjects as well. But today we get to turn the tables a bit and learn from you some of the lessons learned, some of the key themes uh, from your interviews over the past three years. Perhaps we can learn what we need to do over the next five, mm, based yeah, on what you've learned. <laughs> let's so, see. <laughs> yeah. So, as as a context for leadership today, what are some of the what are some of the main ideas you'd like to share with your audiences or themes that have come out of these interviews? You know, there are a couple things that come to the front of my mind. One is volatility. We're seeing it in economics. We're seeing it in the weather. We're seeing it in the stock market. Changes happen more quickly and more dramatically. The move toward populism around the world, and now the move toward this protectionism. We're seeing tariffs, and then we're seeing counter-tariffs, and it seems like we're just seeing a lot more divide than we are seeing coming together and and working in collaboration to address the world's biggest problems. You know, it's obvious in, in uh, media that we read or see mm-hmm. that this volatility is reflected at the geopolitical level. But do you think these ideas, this context is influencing leaders at local levels? I think it is. And I think it influences on both sides. So 
like the old uh, forces diagrams that we talk about in grad school. Some people are responding to the negativity. It's helping them get clarity about, I want to be the solution to the problem, sure. not part of the problem. So I think for some people, it's really promoting better behavior. I know that nobody else is going to fix this, so I need to step in and do my part. It's sort of a pendulum swing mm-hmm. perspective. That, you know, you see this bad behavior, you want to demonstrate more effective behavior, perhaps at a local level. And yet we see the opposite as well, where people who were previously bound by some sense of political correctness or something, mm-hmm. that they are no longer adhering to those rules. And so we see this more rabid division mm-hmm. and I want to say hatred. I hear things from people now that I never thought I would hear. Hmm. Just a think, lack of lack of civility. Sure. Do you think uh, there is, from a local leadership perspective, a drive mm-hmm. toward assuring more civility in the workplace? Or do you see people following suit, less civility? You know, what's been encouraging is to see when people speak up in a negative and inappropriate way for companies to take action and say, we don't allow that here. Mm -hmm. So my hope is that through all of this, that we will raise the bar on what's required to work in, in our workplaces and in our communities. And one organization local in Columbus, and I realize this is a global show, is Columbus 2020 and the Columbus Partnership. And they have this idea of the Columbus way, how businesses, government, faith organizations, nonprofits work together to improve the community. Mm-hmm. And so there are, and, and that's an older collaboration, 20 years at least, but there, there are organizations that are really working very actively, have in the past, and will continue to moving forward, irrespective of what's happening on the national and global stage. Mm-hmm. If I'm a leader of an organization today, given this context, what should I be paying attention to? What sort of mm. themes or ideas uh, have you learned from other leaders about you know, what new leaders should be paying attention to? You know, new leaders and experienced leaders, I think, really need to be looking at trends, fut- looking at futurists. And you, know, you and I taught together years ago, and I learned about futurism and strategic planning and scenario planning, and and that's really played an important part in the last couple of decades. And I hear some of the most prominent thought leaders right now saying, it is no longer sufficient to know what's going on in my industry. I need to have a a clear sense of the bigger landscape and the potential scenarios further out. I was at a presentation at lunch today, and they were talking 10, 20, 30 years, what's going to happen to the workforce with AI and robotics and automation. And frankly, I think a lot of that's going to happen much more quickly than this organization is projecting. Sure. It seems like with AI and robotics, uh, technology has uh, enabled us to communicate, operate across borders. Mm -hmm. And yet, at the same time, we're dealing with these issues of populism where people are sort of protecting their borders and uh, sort of identifying their in-group within Mm -hmm. subsets of a population, Mm -hmm. either national identity or racial or some other sort of subset. You you know, what sort of prescription for repair Mm -hmm. should we offer these leaders today who have to deal with this dilemma of populism and yet 
sort of a borderless world where problems don't respect borders. Uh, problems don't respect borders. Economics don't respect borders. If you look at the suit you're wearing or the outfit, the suit and, and shirt, I would bet that even if the suit were manufactured in the U.S. or tailored in the U.S., it's made of fabric that is from someplace else, buttons that are from someplace else, thread that's from someplace else. Sure, I'm guessing sure. you're wearing a silk tie. It probably wasn't made in the U.S., or at least the fabric didn't come from here. We have grown accustomed to eating foods that are out of season in our grocery store. Walking this back will significantly impact the quality of life we have become accustomed to. And to your point, you know, everything we do, AI, most of us work in a digital space. So I collaborate with people around the world every day. Sure. That, that can't easily be undone. And again, even irrespective of what's happening on the national and global level, I'm not going to stop those partnerships because they make sense. So I think part of it is really taking stock of what kind of world we want to create and looking forward with vision and hope and trust that we're really trying to create something that is that transcends the problems, not step back to old solutions that worked in the past but will no longer work in this complex world. Now, the, the individuals you interviewed over the past three years, mm -hmm. uh, is this sentiment of hope and vision and working across borders reflected in their thoughts? Or are you more likely to encounter people that are sort of... Uh, you know, think, think in terms of borders and operating within frameworks. So each year I interview the keynotes and board members at the International Leadership Association. And every time I leave, no matter what I felt going in, I leave incredibly optimistic. Probably like you feel when you're working with Global Ties. These are global political leaders, thought leaders, business leaders, so they're across the range, and they are looking at what can we do to create a global society, and, and they're not talking any kind of conspiracy theory mm -hmm. overthrowing governments, right. but, but as humans, they talk about working across borders and boundaries, because if we look at, you know, our countries are in part created based on waterways and where wars were held and who, who conquered whom. Home, but business doesn't flow based on, and it does on our waterways because stuff has to move across it. But other than that, how we function in a business organization, so look at a Microsoft or someplace, you know, my, my data could be stored anywhere in the world, and which continent it's on is irrelevant. I interviewed someone yesterday talking about artificial intelligence. They're already using it. We've had other guests talking about automation. There are a lot of things that are happening now. They have happened. They're not somewhere out on the horizon. So we are facing a series of challenges we have not faced before. Sure. And the solutions, I believe, will be created globally. And not to discount that each of us lives in our own country and we have our own tax sort of base. Unique that interests we, and tax base. That yeah, we have to sure. support roads and post offices and stuff. And so I get that there is an importance of local. So much of the business is 
is conducted across boundaries. Sure. And now you talked a little bit about this notion of optimism. Mm-hmm. Is that a, a mindset that's prevalent among successful leaders that you've in, interviewed? I think it is. You know, and we all have our days. I assume you have your days, too. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I've also known you to be one of the more optimistic people I've met. I, well, I think it, it's the only sort of mindset that enables you to think about the possibility of future being better than today. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of core to my belief about uh, what, can, what you can do, your own agency, to make things mm-hmm. better. You have to believe that things can be better, and I think that's born out of an optimistic viewpoint. And optimism followed by action. So, so I'm not talking about delusional, airy-fairy, I'm sure, you know, right. carrying pixie dust. It's the optimism that says, I've overcome all of these things over the course of my life, and I've seen other people overcome them. And when we work together in a way that is agile and collaborative and don't care who gets the credit, we can create new solutions that didn't exist mm-hmm. to the challenges we're facing. Oh, sure. But that that's a, a sense of abundance. And again, not the soft kind of, I'll just think good thoughts. It's the, I believe there's a way through it, and therefore I'm going to go in action with people who are in action and make stuff happen. Well, you talked a moment about agility. So optimism mm-hmm. plus action, but mm-hmm. in a changing context. And so what is this idea of agility, and is that an important leadership comp- competence as you you know, talked with leaders? I think it's foundational. And so I interviewed someone yesterday, this idea that we are coming out of the soft, agile software methodology, but I'm not talking about a software methodology, but a lot of the thinking that comes from that, I make the smallest decisions I can at the latest point in time. Mm-hmm. So it gives me time to collect information. I'm continually deciding and I'm course correcting. So one of our interview guests talked about it like steering a bicycle. It's dynamic steering. I'm a cyclist. So if I hold the handlebars tightly and I hit a rock, I'm off. Mm-hmm. I'm off the bike, on my head someplace, injured. So it's this idea of both. I know where I'm going. So I still have a strategic vision, but I am more willing to adapt it because I know that I don't know enough to create a plan for what's going to happen five years from now and know I'm going to hit the target. But I still I can't be directionless. So I have a a general direction, and then my action steps and my strategy to get there are a lot looser, more hardened over one year, a whole lot less hardened over five years. How do you do it? You're running a university. How do you... Well, I think, you know, there's the tendency in organizations to, I call it functional fix-itness. Okay. You know, and the idea that you have done things the same way for so mm-hmm. long, or you focus on the, your boundary and your, the nature of your work rather than focusing on what your objectives are mm-hmm. and figuring out what's the best way to meet those objectives. And so for me, I have to pull people together and have them focus on what are we trying to achieve together? What's the higher order mm-hmm. outcome mm-hmm. and the values we hold in, in achieving that outcome together? And then there are a lot of methods to get there. Yeah, there are. And again, I have known you to be brilliant in bringing people together, getting them committed to action, and giving them the the space 
to learn and make their own decisions and make their own mistakes, small mistakes, right? They don't blow up the organization. But, but these small experiments, we try things out and we see how they go and we course correct and sometimes we're wrong. That's right. How'd you turn this interview back to me? You're pretty <laughs> skillful at this, Maureen. Well, I'm not sure about that, but we are going to go to break right now and we will be back momentarily. You are with Christopher Washington and Maureen Metcalf and we are talking about what I have learned over the last three years and one year and Christopher is sharing his wisdom <laughs> as well because uh, he is one of the people that I learn the most from. Well, thank you, Maureen. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership in business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You are with Maureen Metcalf and Christopher Washington. And today, Christopher is interviewing me, or we're just having a conversation. Oh, this is a blast. I'm curious, Maureen, 
you know, given all your interviews over the past three years, what have these leaders said about learning? You know, there's been a lot of focus on this notion of learning organizations and adapting organizations, but it really comes back to people learning. And I'm wondering, are there, uh, you know, are there insights that you've gained from leaders about learning and the importance of it? When the world is changing, I think there is nothing more important than being able to learn as a mindset and as a competency that my work is dedicated for leaders to helping them innovate how they lead, innovate, mm -hmm. update, continue to stay current. And I'm not great with repeating statistics, but it's my understanding that in my little mobile phone, I can now access more information than Bill Clinton had access to when he was the president of the United States. I may not be completely perfect at this, but many of us just have more information and we are able to do a lot more. So if if my artificial intelligence buddies grow their businesses, it will change the landscape of how work is done, what work is done by humans, mm -hmm. what's done by machines. And so I interviewed a leader yesterday who was saying they've automated a lot of their technology practices. And interesting, he said, usually IT is automating other people's jobs. We're now automating our jobs. Yes. We are now putting ourselves out of business. So what he said is their organization is committed to re-employing the people whose jobs are going away, but they can't get re-employed if they don't do the learning, right? He said, we, we do lunch and learns every week. We host, he said, they hosted the largest technology conference in the city of Columbus was an internal corporate technology conference. So they're doing their part to create the opportunity to learn. As the individual, if I am not willing to step out of my comfort zone, and for some people this is excruciatingly painful, insecure, mm -hmm. I don't, you know, I talk to grad students who are coming back to school for their first class in decades. They're terrified, right? This is not easy stuff. It's easy for me to say, go take a class. But for some folks, this is incredibly uncomfortable. And yet, for us as individuals to stay employed over the course of our lives, we need to, I need to own my own career, and companies need to own being responsible and creating those opportunities. It's a both, and if either one drops the ball, then we lose. And then our community is dealing with the impact of parents being unemployed, what happens with it, the negative spiral when families are torn apart by lack of economic stability. Sure. So uh, this is really an important issue to me that I've been teaching at the university level, in fact, with you for 20 years. Almost 20 years. And many of the students we taught are, it, it's in night school, it's graduate school, it's undergraduate school. They're adults getting back to school. And it, it is in support of we need to stay current to thrive as, as individuals, as families, as the parent of children or as the wage earner or partner. I can't do my part if I am not staying current and I'm not modeling for my children the behaviors that will enable them to thrive. And this issue really gets above and beyond learning. We're not the first 
this generation is not the first generation to have to deal with dramatic changes as a result of automation, technology. Uh, for example, uh, there, you know, we see a lot of jobs disappearing, mail clerks, file clerks, mm -hmm. you know, even some professions are being mm -hmm. automated, mm -hmm. like accounting, you can do your own taxes, mm -hmm. that sort of mm -hmm. thing. But there's something unique about artificial intelligence and robotics that creates a sort of question about the, our humanity and where we will be in years to come. I don't know if leaders are talking at all about this idea that, you know, you know, what is the role of humans as work changes and more gets automated and a lot of intelligent uh, practice gets adopted by, by, through automation. You know, and I happen to have the pleasure of, of knowing someone who I have not yet interviewed who is investing heavily in teaching AI's love. Interesting. How do we program <laughs> ethics and care into our machines. So they're making decisions. Our self-driving cars are programmed if they hit a spot where they're deciding between hitting a car or a p person pushing a baby carriage, right? Something tragic happens and that's how humans get in car wrecks. Same with self-driving cars. They're being programmed to make ethical choices. How do we program in not just the most efficient, but ethical, uh, care, compassion, wisdom? It's curious to me, and I don't, I don't know how this will turn out. None of us do. But I'm back to hopeful. There are a lot of brilliant people doing what feels like the right thing. And I re realize right is subjective. But there are a lot of brilliant people trying to do ethical, humane things, even with machines. Mm -hmm. I think when we talk about technology, some might argue that there are generational differences mm -hmm. in uh, people that younger people today are much more accustomed to working with digital technologies mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they bring that sort of competence into the workplace. Probably much more comfortable with robotics and artificial intelligence mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. things like that. But those of us who are leading today have to deal with uh, various populations in the workplace, those who have less likely to be comfortable with it and those who are more. And again, it might cut across demographic groups. Mm -hmm. Is there any comments from your interviews about how leaders are working with this broadening population of people who are differently impacted by the changes we're facing today? You know, I have these conversations often through different lenses. So one is, and I'll go back to our local community, and, and many communities are facing workforce shortage. So we have to broaden who we include. Mm -hmm. So this would be folks who are would traditionally have been retired. So I have several clients who have folks on their staff who are in their 70s. They're less comfortable with technology. Sure. Does it present unique challenges for leaders to work course. with this broader population? Well, yeah. and think about you and I are likely to live into our 90s, if not our hundreds. I certainly hope so. And be healthy, right? Sure. So we're not going to be, you know, pushed around in some vegetable carriage. So, so assuming we are healthy at 100, retiring at 65, I'm guessing for us is not in the... In the cards, Sure. What would I do? Yeah. So say we work to 85. I mean, if we're going to live to be 105, 85 would be a reasonable point or 90. So we think it's tough now. Imagine your HR department interviewing people in their late 80s. 
we're not facing that. And then the range of challenges and technology fluency and, you know, as a community and a business community and a university community, how do we think about wisdom and role change at 70 in different communities, the role shifts to, you know, we think of the movies and the Gandalfs and the the wizards and the... The wise sage. Yeah. Sure. But the, those wise sages aren't on their laptops. They're in a different role and they move at a different pace. How do we create the culture, the infrastructure, and the expectations that I graduate out of the 80 hours a week kind of go get on pace into a different pace and I'm compensated appropriately financially so we don't have to fire people who are aging because they're the most expensive people on the team we would hope that by some point we're financially stable and self whatever whatever words you want to put to it that I don't need the same amount of money as I did when I'm paying for kids in college sure we haven't really tackled that yet I don't think and we'll have to so dealing across the range, I think, requires really candid conversations about what, what is reasonable to expect by each demographic. And demographic may be age group. It may be, as we're looking at people participating differently, maybe it is people who would have stayed at home to take care of aging parents and young kids. Maybe they're in the workforce part-time, but in significant roles. You so know, there, clearly are, there clearly are HR implications. There are probably uh, workforce, uh, workplace implications, you know, furniture, accessibility. You know, but I wonder if, if you have any advice for leaders on how to prepare for a broadening, more diverse workforce with hmm. respect to age, demographic, you know, there are a couple things, I think. One, listen to some of the interviews. And one of the people I interviewed, Karen Sands, talks a, a lot about people as we are aging, so third third stage. And she references Frances Hesselbein, who's running the Peter Drucker Institute. Okay. Frances Hesselbein's over 100 years old, and she's running the Drucker Institute. And she's a thought leader. She's not a doddering old lady, right? There are, We have beautiful role models for thinking about what does aging look like. So I'm going to live to be a lot older than my parents did. I've got to look to people who are doing it the way I hope to do it. It's, again, another shift in mindset. And it requires that I honor the parents I have, but don't follow that path. Sure. I, I have to plot my own path. And, you know, you and I are blazing trails, as will those who came behind us, and those people like Karen Sands who are are leading this conversation and talking candidly about, you know, in her 70s, what does she, how does she work differently than in her 50s? Now, what about the, the idea that with the broad demographic, creates a unique challenge for leaders in developing talent. The, the concept of mm-hmm. learning you talked about, mm-hmm. it's important mm-hmm. to learn over your lifetime, whether you're 85 or 25, mm-hmm. but I imagine the learning needs are quite different. But how do you, how do you foster talent development in a very rich context of diverse, uh, diverse individuals? You know, I want to say 
part of it is structural. So how are we creating community, university, and company focus? Mm -hmm. So continuing education um, beyond degrees, it's the certifications and and stackable certifications. We, so since, since you're identifying competencies that might be mm -hmm. necessary for different groups, which you've perhaps had to identify, mm -hmm. and providing some way of measuring whether or not they've achieved that through some learning learning program? Yeah, I think that's, that's a lot of it. I'm, I'm just trying to think of workforce development programs we have now. And I'm involved a lot in the IT community, and there's a shortage of people. Mm -hmm. So they are looking at brilliant programs of taking folks we wouldn't have traditionally put in technology roles. These range from people getting out of incarceration in nonviolent crime, so it's not like they're putting murderers next to you. But, but there are a lot of people who made a bad decision young in life, and they they are now returning to the workforce. How do we recapture People who we wouldn't have traditionally, kids who dropped out of high school, who are working a construction job, but have the aptitude. So how do we recapture folks and how does the community create those opportunities? Because the person returning from incarceration and the, the kid who's just lost his construction job aren't able to afford to go to college or community college, but they enter these programs and they're paid a stipend and there's an agreement that they'll then take a reduced income for a period of time to pay back the investment. Oh, I but, see. So there are, at least in Columbus, I know there are several programs like that now that are kind of being incubated. And I assume around the country and around the world there are similar things. I've heard some of these programs referred to as restorative mm -hmm. justice programs, mm -hmm. where you know, person uh, through their endeavors gives back to address the problem they might have created um, through their actions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. Well, and and so there's restorative justice, and then there are uh, there's a company locally where the owner is actually an immigrant, just says, I, I so appreciate being in the United States. I'm going to create a program for veterans where, again, I'll pay them to go through training, and then we employ them. Mm -hmm. So there, the creativity, it's hard to not be hopeful when you see people in the community doing such brilliant things to support others. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite impressed by uh, leaders who introduce these inclusive excellence programs where, for example, they have you know, older folks that are very wise that mentor younger people, so they're all sort of included together, or younger people who are very versed in technology have the opportunity to teach technology that perhaps people are less comfortable, but it gets them to work together as a form of growth and development. I, I, I find mm -hmm. those quite interesting. Have you seen any of those uh, kind of initiatives uh, described or heard them described through the, your, your interviews? You know, I, I've talked to leaders that they haven't called them exactly that, but, but this idea, like reverse mentoring, that, yes. that our senior folks learn technology from our younger folks, our younger folks learn business acumen from our senior folks. So there's a, and one of the things that's required in this is, again, dismantling the old view of value 
and contribution. I'm old, therefore I know more, and you, young person, have to listen to me. It's a new it, mindset. And I have to, as a person with a lot of years of experience, acknowledge that there are people who know way more than I do, and they've been on the planet half as long or less. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So with that, let's go on break, and we'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. Have you tapped your full potential as a leader? Sometimes you have to go a little deeper and connect with your inner force. Join host Angela King as she invites you to discover something that already lies within you and helps you become a better leader. Your most important connection is the one you have with yourself. It's time to connect, ignite, and rise. It's time for Inner Force. Tune in live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You are with Christopher Washington and Maureen Metcalf, and we're talking about kind of turning the tables. Christopher's interviewing me about what I've learned oh, this is over the series of the last year and, and really synthesizing over the last three years. Well, Maureen, I, I'm reflecting on something you said earlier about the rise of populism, and mm -hmm. some conclusions I draw about that is that it leads to sort of hardened borders, the sense that you know, you, you work for a small geographic or community against a system or perhaps more elite mm -hmm. ideas. Mm -hmm. But re the result of that can be seeing other people as other mm -hmm. at a time when uh, our problems do cross borders. You know, pollution, mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. example, or 
you know, many environmental concerns. So w- talk to me about um, how a leader should address this dilemma and the competencies necessary to operate to address these more complex, wicked problems mm-hmm. today. So one of the things I created largely led by Mike Morrow Fox, so he was the thought leader in this, is a series of competencies looking at kind of leader 2050. What do we need to do to successfully move through the next couple of decades? And I want to be clear, these aren't the competencies we need then. These are the competencies we need now to move us in that direction. And so things like innately collaborative, I need to be open to new and differing perspectives. So this is the reverse mentoring, but it's also talking to people who have completely opposing points of view and really being willing to hear them and synthesize that. That's that transcendent include. There are things about your view that are right. There are things about my view that are right. How do we come together to create a more cohesive solution to problems like pollution, like oil spills, like food shortages. How does one cultivate that innate ability to collaborate? So these competencies are really pulled from the developmental model uh, that looks at leadership maturity, and the term is vertical development. So moving through a series of stages of maturity. Mm-hmm. And the maturity is really how I look at the world cognitively, emotionally, behaviorally. It looks at my time horizon. It looks at who do I define as us versus them? Is us my community? Is it my family? Is it people in my state or my country? Is it my political party? Or is it all humans? You know, Am I solving a problem to deal with landfills by shipping my trash to another country. Is that really the best and highest solution to that problem? For some people, the answer is yes. Right. (laughs) Not in my yard, it's in your yard. (laughs) But for other people, that's completely untenable. How do we raise our level of maturity so that we are at the level of maturity that for people who know Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, um, this whole level five leadership, we've been talking about it, again, for almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. So these competencies are really pulled from that kind of body of work. And the the research is Torbert, Cook, Reuter, Terry O'Fallon. So this is heavily research-based. Bob Keegan coming out of, so Harvard, Boston College. It's not, it, it's not some fanciful idea. It's hardcore research that we have looked at how humans evolve, specifically in the space of leadership. And so the competencies are innately collaborative, able to inspire followership. Do I do the things that people want to follow me? Highly authentic and reflective. Mm-hmm intellectually versatile. So we've been talking about learning. Am I learning from different places and different people? 360 degree thinker, I'm able to step out of my situation, look across the landscape, and really make decisions that impact positively the entire system. And system being defined at later stages of maturity by larger geography, more people in the system than out of the system. And then professionally humble and unwavering commitment to right action. So ethics come online, 
um, the ability to stay the course when under pressure, committed to kind of a personal North Star, cares about creating right outcomes more than personal credit. And we can all think of people who epitomize that, and we can think of people who don't. Well, I can think of contexts where those, those competencies are really important. For example, what it's like to live and work on a space station. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have people from all over the world that mm-hmm. multiple cultures that are there in a confined space. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a lot of room for error. You probably have to innovate <laughs> together. You're sharing a community. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I wonder on this planet if there are contexts that may be more ideal for the development of these kind of competencies. You know, there's a lot of interesting research about what creates it. Yes. And things like disorienting dilemmas. We think that people often like being in a space station. You're in a a situation where raising your performance causes life or death. And some people will... High stakes. Yeah. So some people devolve, right? You may have someone on the space station who's just had a collapse, And other people need to elevate. So one thing to remember, though, is under those high-stakes settings, not everyone rises. Some of them drop. Sure. So how do we create the context where people can come together to solve big problems? Things like meditation, um, reflection, having a sense of purpose, having role models, understanding larger systems. We think that getting an MBA moves people to a certain level. And then beyond the MBA, things like action inquiry help people move to the next level. So it's a sort of balance between these challenging assignments mm-hmm. and the space to learn from them, or reflection, mm-hmm. uh, peer mentoring perhaps. I don't know if other thoughts you have on this. Well, the other is role models from people who are there. Mm-hmm. So if you think of your best role models... You probably have a couple. And oh, they, absolutely. And they probably looked something like this. Those people you truly admire. What I find interesting is that your, um, your prescription for deep learning doesn't include take a class. But maybe talk about this. You know, mm-hmm. Where does form, formal learning fit into all this for, for leaders? And perhaps uh, you know, how are leaders learning mm-hmm. today? Mm-hmm. Well, so you know this is my work in the the business my company does. So we absolutely create leader development programs, one that just teaches reflection and systems. And we talk about having a North Star. Well, a lot of people don't have one. They've never taken the time. Nobody ever asked them. They're so busy doing their responsibilities. They haven't stepped back and said, who am I and what do I stand for? What are my values? Mine, not what my parents told me and not what my company says. So that starting to really build that inner perspective and sense of what do I want to create in the world mm-hmm. and and how equipped am I to do that? So we teach in a classroom setting, much of what we think is required. And now we're building out programs to take them through, uh, moving through developmental levels. And I I was in, in a program with Terry O'Fallon called Generating Transformative Change. It was a two-year program. And we have several interviews with Terry. And those were designed specifically to put you in the cooker okay. and, and move through the levels. And the faculty are at a very high level. So you've got all the breakdown and dysfunction of people, of humans that go through dysfunction. in The messiness yeah, of human interactions. In, in those sure. settings. And yet you have the 
access to mentors and faculty and support structures and tools that really help people move out of it. And in some cases, they kind of devolve for a while, and then they move out over a period of time. So it's not like I can send someone to a two-year class, and they're immediately going to pop up. We think it takes two to six years to move a level. So to be clear, this is not a quick process. And those are people working on it, right, and whose life conditions support it. Mm My mom was diagnosed with dementia a few years ago, and and my life suddenly became focused on helping a sick human, uh, my mother, right? I didn't have time for going off to workshops and stuff. My entire focus was helping my mom with this transition. So I think there's also a time in our lives where we, we have the, the latitude and it's really a luxury to make this investment. And there are times when it's just, it's not going to happen. Right. We, we are focused with the number of things that life presents. You know, I, I talk about it being an honor to participate with people on this journey because it really is an unraveling and remaking of how I see myself in the world. And it's really a delicate Transition, And I'd be curious if you have kind of the two-minute version of how you went through that, because we've seen each other through some <laughs> bumps <laughs> in life. You've talked about mentors. What else got you there? Well, I do think hardships, reflection on hardships, and in so much the way that you described, being able to take time to think about the impact of your actions and mm-hmm. what that means and how you might do it differently. Learning from more experienced others, mm-hmm. mentors, mm-hmm. watching people do things, um, supplemented by reading. I, I do read a, a lot ton. of reading, or a lot of reading, uh, and I ask people what they're reading, and you know, realizing that lessons in leadership can come from anywhere. Sometimes from kids mm-hmm. watching how they interact and play together. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. those are sort of, uh, I think, um, you know, the time spent in solitary thinking about. The choices I've made and the impact mm-hmm. it's had on others has, has been a big part of my development. And being open to feedback, <laughs> you know, I think that's a real critical thing. Um, sometimes the, people can tell you things about yourself that you don't see in yourself, mm-hmm. and I think that's been very helpful to me. And some of that feedback for me has not been glowing. <laughs> yeah. Right? The, being open to the, the, the really ugly stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to hear I'm perfect, but it's <laughs> so just, now you're, just not true. No, Maureen, you've written a book about leadership and that talks about your ideas, theories, mm-hmm, lessons mm-hmm, learned. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, um, well, you know, who do you read? Mm. You know, what, well, who are the authors or the ideas that influence your thinking about, about leadership? And perhaps you might comment on who the leaders are reading, the leaders that you've mm-hmm, interviewed. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a couple organizations. Singularity University is interesting. Some of the Ray Kurzweil stuff, and and folks would some folks would say that's kind of out there stuff, but I like the kind of out there stuff. Um, Meg Wheatley uh, recently published a book, and her I've I've heard there is some criticism of that book as well. I found it to be really insightful in talking about rise and fall of civilizations. And so not, not the Mad Max version, but where are we in the, fa- the normal phase of evolution? 
So when our country was created, if I wanted to communicate with someone at a distance, I would probably write a letter if I was allowed to write. I handed it to a man on a horse. <laughs> we took it to a place and handed it to another man on a horse, consolidating right. letters. And then they would put it on a ship and it would sail across the ocean. And then I would get a response back, what, a year later? Right. Now we are connecting instantaneously. Or yeah, We've come a long way since the Pony Express. <laughs> and yet our governance has not changed dramatically, right? So what is what does the next phase of governance look like when we really are functioning globally at the speed of light? And I don't think we've really opened to it is not to discount what got us here, but what's required to live as humans populating the same planet, yeah. right? When, when Fukushima happened, scientists, I think, were presumably talking about what happens when nuclear waste goes into an ocean, right? It, it impacts fish. It impacts drinkability of water. Not that we're drinking ocean water, but, but it impacts around the globe over time. You know, there are things that happen in parts of the planet that I couldn't find on a map that will impact in some way the quality of life in my community. Sure. And I think we need to be reading about and thinking about governing. So I haven't given a lot of authors. Coming out of Singularity are, are several of them. Coming out of the developmental psychology space, I read a lot of that. And... Honestly, if you listen to the show, a whole bunch of the authors that I'm talking to, I'm reading their books or I'm interviewing them to find out what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. How does a leader under these contexts, you know, we have increasingly complex problems we face, advancements of technology. You know, the leaders that you've talked to, have they talked at all about the, how they create balance in their own lives? You know, it seems like the age-old question. Yeah. And what I hear is a few things. One, I do what I love. So I know what I love. Sure. And I do as much of it as I can. And I acknowledge that balance for me doesn't mean every day I am home for dinner. It means a, an ebb and flow and agreements with my partner that we have similar focus on attending to how we care for one another. So it's not these three buckets you neatly put things into to try to create a balance among it. It's a, not in my it's a totally life. different idea. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's the agreements I have with the people I love. And I try to, I'm militant about my 10,000 steps. So I am to be seen walking around at 1130 at night getting steps. And if it's cold, it's around the house. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> right. I'm still as silly as everybody else. You know, you do what you value. You do it the best you can. Mm -hmm. But I think it's, I know what I value. I know who I value. And if I violate the agreements about how we spend time together, we have an open conversation about how to restore the balance. That's a very powerful insight. In fact, Maureen, I've been really impressed with uh, the insights you've offered us from your interviews and really appreciate your work as a public scholar on leadership. Thank you so much for sharing what you've learned with me today. Christopher, thank you. You have been not only a friend, but a role model for me and a mentor. So it is just my deep honor to have the conversation with you, specifically about, about your scholarship as well. And 
it's just been fun watching you evolve over the years. Thank you. And stepping into now running a university. Oh, it's fun. Finding my passion and purpose. And living it. And living it. And finding balance in your life. Thank you. Thank you. And to our listeners, please comment. Either email me, info at metcalf-associates.com, or on Facebook, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. And if you want to learn more about Christopher, you can Google him, Christopher Washington. Uh, He is running Urbana University, and you can find him on LinkedIn. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then. Drive and thrive and have a great week.